the make or break quality of a successful app, I think, is without a doubt simplicity and ease of use. This is Life in the Mobile Enterprise. This is Olivia, your host of Life in the Mobile Enterprise, and today we're going to talk about how to build a killer app. And to help me do so, I have with me app experts, Ben Sperry and Adam Bradley from Ionic. Thanks for joining me today, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. So for our listeners who aren't familiar, Ionic is an open source mobile framework that has really taken off. There have been over 2 million apps built on the platform since it was first released in 2013. So we'll get into more detail on the Ionic platform later, but to kick things off, Ben and Adam, could you each give me a little bit of background on yourselves, how you got to where you are today, and your role at Ionic? Yeah, sure. I guess I'll go first. Um, So I'm Ben. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders of Ionic, and I'm the chief design officer. So I do everything uh, visual here and UX at the company. I I designed the initial framework and um, all of our products. Um, But before I started the company, I used to work in the mobile gaming industry, um, and I, uh, I head up visual product design for uh, mobile MMORPG games played by millions of, of gamers and users. Um, and then way back when, I, I, was a, I was a UX and UI designer at a uh, design agency. So I come from a from, uh, very design-heavy background. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, quick background about myself. I originally was in my early part of my career, did a lot of e-commerce development, and it slowly moved into doing more uh, mobile web apps for the e-commerce world. And that's when I met uh, Max and Ben, um, came on pretty early with the company, and, and we started making the Ionic framework itself um, after we had, I guess, the, the first part of the company had started making uh, jQuery mobile um, inter- drag-and-drop interface builders. So um, after that experience is where we decided we really kind of wanted to start building our own framework because we kind of saw the... Uh, uh, the, some of the places we can improve upon it. Um, and so then from there, we've, we've since grown. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm now the core developer working on the, or lead developer working on the framework and really loving it. Awesome. So tell me a little bit more about Ionic and why did you choose to found it? Sure. So um, it's kind of a two-part uh, answer here. I guess a little bit more about Ionic Ionic itself is just an open source, um, I guess, SDK or framework that is built to enable web developers to better build um, high-performant, high-quality mobile apps um, using the web technologies that they're familiar with. So that would be HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And these apps that they're building most of them, they're going to be put into app stores. So like, you know, the iOS, Apple App Store or the Google Play Store um, or even the Windows uh, Store. Um, so that's kind of what Ionic is at a high level. Um, completely open source, MIT licensed, uh, has a massive community behind it. Um, lots and lots of developers. Um, great ecosystem. Uh, and, and I guess kind of a, a little bit of background as to 
you know, how we founded it and created it. Um, Adam kind of touched on this initially, but we, when we started out, um, it was just myself and, and Max, my, my other co-founder, uh, Max Lynch, we were running a company called Kodaka, um, which I don't know how many people know about, about that. A few of you might, if you're in the, the mobile dev space. Um, but Kodaka was like Adam said, it was a, it was a drag and drop visual interface builder for creating jQuery mobile apps. Um, and this was way back in 2011, 2000, 2010, 2011, we, we built this tool and essentially it came out of my frustrations working at a design agency, um, building mobile uh, UX mockups for clients. And I was using mockup software and I didn't like that I couldn't export, you know, actual actual usable code from my mockups and having to go back and forth with the clients with just PDFs is really frustrating. And when you finally do settle on a design, you know, you have to build it from scratch again once it's done. So we built this tool that allowed you to take advantage of, at the time, um, this you know, pretty widely used uh, project called jQuery Mobile that was you know built for building mobile web apps and even I think the early stages of hybrid apps, um, and so that's kind of how we got off of off the ground. Uh, we bootstrapped the company, and Adam came on very early on actually, and uh, and worked on Kodaka as well with us. But it was through Kodaka that we sort of realized that there was a a bigger a bigger opportunity here and a bigger vision. And it, it frankly, it came out of the, the frustrations of our customers um, who wanted to take their web technology skill sets and, and build hybrid apps using jQuery mobile. And they were running into some problems with the project. Um, the project was, I think, you know, a bit older. Um, it didn't follow, I think, the best modern design, best practices, or UX. It tried to support every phone under the sun, and and so we had a hard time, you know, giving our customers a great experience while also um, while also supporting jQuery Mobile underneath our our core technology. So. I don't know, Adam. You might be able to expand a bit more on this, but we started thinking about well, what would what would a framework look like that we would want to use if one existed that wasn't jQuery Mobile? Um, you know, and and Adam, being a developer, had a lot of say into this and, and really built the first version of Ionic, uh, the first alpha version and every version since. Um, but coming from that standpoint, which was, you know, what is the framework that we would want to use? What what would the design look like? What would the underlying architecture look like? Um, how could we make something really really simple but yet really performant and and powerful? And you know, we kind of stopped all development on the Kodaka product and and decided to go all in on building this this idea that eventually we we called Ionic. And that was in 2013, and you know, we we released it accidentally. Um, someone found our website, and oh, wow. uh, I think we were. Yeah. yeah, that was a that was a, a fun day, a fun and scary day. We were on the I think we were on the front page of Hacker News, and yeah, we were not right. not ready for that. No, yeah, we we built the website, had it up, you know, talking about all oh, it's it's how great it was and everything. But it was kind of just like we had whipped it together. Um, at the time, you know, like it really wasn't uh, fully completed, but it quickly hit the top of Hacker News. And when we came in the next day, we're like, "Oh, geez, we really gotta, <laughs> really gotta, you know, back this up now." So it was a it was a good motivation to really complete our project. 
Right. So basically, when it, when it was released, it was luckily it received really well, and um, a lot of developers saw the vision that we saw, which was offering them a completely open source, fully permissible, um, you know, tool set, UI toolkit, and design best practices baked in uh, project that allowed them to really build the types of apps that they've been wanting to build um, without having to learn anything new. And, and that was a really big deal. And that was the vision that we saw. And it's the vision that we we still have, which is enabling as many web developers and developers in general as possible um, to be able to build apps more efficiently. You know, with with web technologies, the the technology that's been around pretty much longer than any other, um, and uh, and that's kind of where we are right now. Okay, so why did you guys decide to make it open source? Um, yeah, I mean, I can talk a little bit about that. I, I think around 2013, was, was um, there was still quite a few frameworks that you would have to pay for. Um, mm -hmm. And we kind of, at the time, you know, and since I think it's drastically changed that now pretty much everything is, is close to open source. But at the time, we thought it was kind of strange that you just don't pay for CSS button. Like, if, <laughs> if you wanted a blue button with rounded corners, you know, at the time, you you would you know get a, a yearly contract with the company to then use their framework. Um, we really didn't kind of believe in that. Where we we rather would you know we're kind of followed um, how Twitter Bootstrap worked, where it was a an open to use um, um, framework, and then from then on, you know, we would add on services beyond that. But um, yeah, I think that's that's really the reason. It's like it makes it easier for people to get involved. It makes it easier for people to contribute to it. Um, and it just makes a much larger community, much more open community, and a lot more fun to develop with. There's just no way that that we could have ever been as, or the project could have ever been as successful as it as it is now if we hadn't have made it completely open source um, and allowed that community to grow around it and that ecosystem where, you know, it. it it wouldn't have as great of testing. It wouldn't have of, as great of usage. Um, and so, yeah, our hypothesis was if we made it open source, um, it could become bigger than anything um, anything otherwise would be if we had put a price tag on it. Okay. So you really do credit a lot of the success and the community that you built due to the fact that it was open source. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I also think that one of the better decisions we made from the early days was uh, from day one we created a forum that anyone could, you know, provide us feedback, and we could talk about um, issues that people had, um, how to solve problems, and so like that. That was drastically helpful, not only for ourselves to help improve the framework, but also for the entire community to ask general questions, and then having other people um, step in, and quite a few people step in and answer other people's questions. So it really did help build up the framework quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would also say early on we built a. Um Fairly early on, we also built a marketplace um, where the community could um, basically build and sell or buy um, Ionic demos, Ionic themes, Ionic starter apps, starter projects, um, and basically like allowed we allowed the ecosystem there to kind of grow and foster a, um, a I guess yeah an ecosystem of of developers building and sharing ionic components and pushing it forward in ways that like you know our team wouldn't have been able to on our own um so you see all of these like you know residual like effects and growth effects that come out of making it super super uh available free and and 
incredibly permissible to use. You can use it in any way that you want. You could fork it. You can take it and make it into something of your own. Um, it doesn't. We don't care. You know, we're not ever gonna ever gonna sell the the framework or charge for the framework. I think that that would be really silly. <laughs> okay. So you said there are other frameworks out there other than being open source. What makes Ionic unique? So what? I would say what makes us unique uh, rather than the, the other open source projects you mean? Um, just the other um, app development frameworks, I'm thinking. Oh, sure. So I, I think um, the one area that we've always stressed um, from the beginning is that we really wanted to um, keep it simple as possible um, to, to really enable it for all web developers. So there's um, basically we wanted to boil it down to this HTML, JavaScript, CSS, so kind of like the three pillars of what web developers already know. So this isn't a new technology they're really having to pick up. Um, you can walk into pretty much any company nowadays, and they're going to have a web development, at least a web developer or a web development department, that can just look at Ionic code and be like, oh, I can have this finished by the end of the day. You know, So it's kind of um, our, our initial intent and, and how it's always been is just to make sure that it's understandable by um, just web developers and not having to have a uh, computer science degree to just um, get it to be able to click a button and, and see what the button does. Um, so I think that's kind of where we've, we've really succeeded um, against many other frameworks. It's just kind of our simplicity. But at the same time, um, we take on a large burden within the framework of turning, you know, simple code into very powerful, very, um, you know, a very powerful framework that has a lot of abilities under the hood. And so there's lots of things that we're doing um, that the developer doesn't have to do. Um, so like one of the, the most common stuff that I like to say is that, you know, web developers really want to, um, really any app developer want to focus on building their app. They don't want to worry about um, what happens or how do I get the, uh, the button to get this correct color when I click it? How do I get the, the page transition to happen with the title sliding at the right transition speed? So there's so many mm -hmm. things that are happening that the framework is handling that is kind of just commonplace, like, oh, I just want to transition the page and slide the next page over. Um, but web developers shouldn't have to be concerned about that. <clears throat> just like with iOS and Android development, those iOS and Android developers are not really concerned about how does a page transition, how does, um, how does the button, get, button click get handled. Rather, they're worrying about just the app itself. And so that's kind of what, you know, we took many, many lessons from the, the native side of things of um, kind of providing that UI that, and that structure of what a framework is so that developers can focus on just their app and just their code and get right at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's I, I like to say something that we've, we really take to heart is turning complex things into simple things. Um, I, I almost feel like we're obsessed with doing that um, internally and in everything that we build. Um, I would say just to, to tack on to that, Adam, um, I think design has also played a, a massive role in uh, Ionic's success and in our differentiation between you know, other projects out there. Um, a lot of developer projects historically and, and yeah. I guess still currently don't really focus on right, right. design, um, specifically visual design, not, and, you know, not even UX. Um, well, and that's a whole other discussion, but, um, you know, making the app look modern and, and look beautiful from the get-go where, and like Adam said, most developers don't want to deal with figuring out how to make their app work. They just want to focus on their app. I think the same can be said for um, most developers don't want to have to worry about making it look great. You know, they, they, it's not what they're 
shooting for. It's not what they're they're necessarily um, uh, focused on. They just want it to look good. And so if we can provide them with uh, a great visual design right out of the box, then that's a huge win for them. And it's a it's a indirectly a huge win for us um, because it, it makes a lot of happy happy users. Yeah, um, Ben's exactly right. You know, I've always kind of said that our our secret weapon has been Ben, because most developer projects like this, most open source projects are are led by just core developers, just heads down working on JavaScript, working on the really nerdy stuff. Whereas um, it's harder for designers to to, get, to step in and you know provide make it look better. So I think it's with Ben, you know, just being a, a great designer, and then having developers working together, where we're not trying to, not having the developer do both ends of it, but being able to, to split it out and let Ben say, like, well, this this would be better if we kind of changed it around here and here, and so like having the entire framework built like that, I think, has really really paid off. And then on top of that is um, allowing all of this to be um, easily customizable. Um, something that we also kind of pride ourselves on is that. We don't really want everyone to have an Ionic-looking app, but we just want people to be using Ionic. Um, but it's it's awesome to see all the examples, like in, in our showcase, of they're using the Ionic framework under the hood, but it doesn't look like an Ionic app. And, and I, I take a lot of personal pride in that because it, it takes a lot of work to, to make it easy to customize. You know, with a couple lines of a couple simple lines of code, you can drastically change your entire app to look like your brand. And that's also, I think, where we have an advantage over most frameworks is that we're, we're so focused on making sure that it's highly customizable to, to make it look like what you want it to look like. And again, that's where the web really steps in is that there are so many great web developers out there already that can right-click and inspect an element and change the CSS right there without having to right. compile the entire world and, and redo, you know, get software engineers again to, to redo the app, but rather you just like, well, change the CSS to have this font size, and then you're done. So another, you know, back to like being able to simplicity of it all, but also being able to customize a good design. Okay, so it's it's really about enabling people with web development skills to be able to create an app that has a good user experience and it's actually going to get used out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and really, you know, kind of the framework itself is is taken on many of the very difficult details under the hood because it's it's very easy to, to build a web page with a header, um, but to be able to do it one of a very high performing on a low end devices without having flickers, with, with it being able to have smooth transitions, there's there's a lot to that um, that developers shouldn't have to be concerned about, and that's kind of what Ionic helps out with. Mm-hmm. All right, great. So where is the Ionic framework um, at today, and what's next for you guys? Um, well, we are kind of at an interesting point with, uh, with the framework, um, and our platform services, I guess. Um, Adam, if you want to talk about Ionic Two, because I, I know we're we're really excited about that, and we have some exciting uh, some exciting updates in the pipeline. Um, you could probably shed some light on that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, end of 2013, we created Ionic One um, using Angular One, and you know it, it's it's a great framework. You know, I've, I really have not much. Or anything bad to say about it, you know, many millions of apps have been built with it. Very, a lot of people are very happy with it. But in that time, we've we've also learned a lot of things, and also JavaScript itself and the browsers themselves have um, really drastically improved. And so um, recently, um, we're just finishing Ionic two, which is kind of many lessons learned from Ionic one of how can we make it better, and then also kind of taking advantage of newer um, 
newer APIs that the browsers um, implement now that we weren't able to take advantage of in the past. And so with that, Ionic 2 is just night and day better than what we already are proud of with Ionic 1. So just this summer now, we're going to be releasing our release candidate in the next couple of weeks, but it uses Angular 2 now, uh, and which is also kind of like the, the framework under the hood that helps us to update the, the web page very quickly. It is kind of one of the, um, how to say, it's just it's, Angular 2 is a way that we're able to make these changes really quickly um, and performantly. Um, as far as like how you code and how you structure your data and your HTML. Um, but then Ionic is kind of the UI layer above Angular 2. So yeah, right. like with Ionic 2 coming out, you know, I couldn't be, couldn't be happier with uh, kind of the improvements we've been able to um, put on top of uh, Ionic 1. So, and yeah, this is summer we're starting to release it. So it's going along great. Yeah. I think the, the thing that I'm, I'm most excited about is the, the parody, um, to actually getting that native-like uh, performance and and experience with the Ionic 2 apps that we're seeing built already, um, just the the level of again performance has just been drastically improved since Ionic 1 due to yeah all these things that Adam mentioned Angular 2, TypeScript, just JavaScript in general. Um, leveling up browsers leveling up phones getting faster we're getting to this inflection point where you know it's kind of like um i'm gonna go on a tangent here but i kind of uh, we like to to uh make an analogy often with the kind of what happened with desktop applications you know back back during like windows 95 uh days you know no one would ever dream of building a desktop application using web technologies because it just didn't make any sense you would just go native and i think uh, over time, over the, the, the next 10 years or so, um, to, to now, um, you see tons of, of applications that are under the hood, just, you know, web technologies. I mean, you look at apps like Slack or I think even Atom. Uh, is, that, is that right, Adam? I think yep. Adam Editor? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, Adam Editor. Adam. Mm-hmm. But now we're seeing that same shift on mobile. You know, when, when the first iPhone came out and the first Android phones came out, like, you know, no one really considered ever building these native these apps for the app stores uh, using web technologies it was you would of course you're going to use native technology the phones just were not fast enough or they weren't they didn't have enough processing power to handle you know an app built with web technologies but now we're at this point where our phones are oftentimes faster than the our desktop computers we have at home or you know our laptops that we carry around and they've gotten to this point where now web technologies can run just as fast um, in most cases as a native app because you have all these things underneath the hood that now can can support that um, and that is just awesome all around because um, we think it's just so much more easier and so much more fun to build with web technologies um, yeah absolutely and like and with with ease is you know it comes like a cost savings too that's that's often what what you know we hear a lot is about how people use Ionic um, because you're able to develop so quickly. And so if you're developing quickly, you're obviously saving a lot of money. Um, and so if you're, you're not having to contract out um, high-end developers that know iOS and Android and Windows Phone, you know, developing for these various platforms, but rather you're using your in-house web developers that can build it even faster, that's a huge cost savings to companies. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the fact that your, your app that you're building because it's using web technologies under the hood, it can be just as easily deployed as a 
progressive uh, web app or a mobile web application that you would just access on you know the mobile browser, um, which we're really excited about that as well. Um, so that's I would say that's where we're at with the framework um, on on our our commercialization side of things on our um, our backend services. We're we're also really pumped about what's going on there. We um, I guess we haven't really talked about that yet, so I can give a quick um, overview. But basically, um, we'll, we're never going to charge for the framework, but we will sell additional sort of surrounding optional services uh, that we that we know app developers um, are going to want or need once their apps are deployed. So things like you know being able to send push notifications to users um, and engage with them, being able to track you know analytics or authenticate users or um, deploy updates to your app live remotely without going through the app store submission process. Those sorts of, of services um, we currently have in beta right now. And they're going great. Um, we actually we expect to hit a production status for our commercial services later this summer. Um, so we got a lot of things going on. <laughs> um, but all good things. And, um, and we're very excited. That's awesome. No, I think this is a really exciting time for you guys. Yeah, we are pumped. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Cool. So you guys have seen now over 2 million apps go through the the framework, and you've created the framework with design in mind. So thinking about apps specifically and what makes them successful, what are these? Do you have any kind of make-or-break qualities that you, you see always with a successful mobile app? Yeah. So we like to... We talk about this a lot um, at Ionic, and it, it basically goes into the core of everything we make. Um, I like to think that Ionic has a great, a great UX, and it's something that I know Adam thinks about a lot, and I think about. We, we, it's kind of in the heart of everything we, we build because we want to make sure that our developers are building fantastic apps or a killer app. Um, and so... You know, for me and for us, I think the make-or-break quality of a successful app, I think, is without a doubt simplicity and ease of use. And so, you know, I think a trap that we see a lot, um, a lot of developers fall into, is trying to make an app that does something completely new or novel. Um, you know, something that, you know, maybe you're not used to seeing. Um, and while it can be really interesting and really fun to do these sorts of things. I know I'm guilty of it as a designer. Uh, I know Adam, Adam and I kind of will sometimes catch ourselves going on, you know, fun idea tangents, coming up with interesting new ways we could, you know, display information or um, build cool demos that do some sort of interesting, you know, animation or transition or what have you. Um, Doing those things is fun, but there's always a cost involved. And I think, I think the cost is alienating your users. Um, I've seen a lot of apps do some really weird things, <laughs> not just in Ionic, but in, in general. And I feel like oftentimes those apps suffer because it puts the burden on the user to have to figure out how it works. You know, you, you as the app developer or the designer or creator 
you know, you have all this information, but your users don't. And it's a, it's a hard thing to remember sometimes when you're excited about this idea that you're building or this, um, you know, service that you're making. Um, you want it to look cool. You want it to be unique or different somehow. And I think the trap is thinking that by making the interaction with it different or unique, that's how you're going to stand out. And I think, um, actually it ends up hurting you in the end um, because you've all of a sudden created a new paradigm that nobody knows how to use. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. Um, and I think that something that I see a lot is uh, when a lot of the information is kind of buried in menus and tabs and, and really using both tabs and side menus, like multiple side mm-hmm. menus. I've seen that numerous times. And um, it's kind of hard to um, pull off in a good way, I guess. You know, like... They each, both left menus and uh, tabs have their their place in time, but to load up all these various ways for for a user to get around their their app um, really makes it again, yeah, it's it's a burden on the user to to figure it all out um, rather than just having you know three tabs at the bottom with a nice label and a nice icon um, that really simplifies things, or not having tabs at all and just having one button of or two buttons of what do you have to do next? Um, I think developers quickly get in the trap of like just well I could do this and I could do this and I could do this and and before you know it the app is very complex Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay yeah no that makes sense because as a designer and developer you want to kind of push the limit and try something new and different and make it stand out but as a user is is that what you're looking for are you more looking for an app that is very easy to use and kind of lets you do what you want to do in the most exactly the quickest way possible Exactly. So I think, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. The the make or break quality sometimes is overthought, and 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 you fall into this. And I know I'm I'm guilt. I think everyone's kind of guilty of it. Is thinking, oh, it has to be so new, and and that'll make it stand out, or it has to be just something completely different. And and uh, we like to say that's a, that's a trap. Don't don't go down that rabbit hole because you're going to be in a world of hurt when your users start complaining that they don't know how to use your app or giving it, you know, a poor rating um, because it didn't allow them to get to what they wanted to get to as quickly as they would have liked to, if that makes sense. Yeah. I've always kind of found it funny that it's hard to make things easy, you know? So like really focusing on how can I just, how can we take away more things, less stuff on the, on, of the interface, just like as a user, I look at this, you know, bunch of pixels, what am I supposed to do next? And being able to answer that is like the hard part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, even just let's let's do an exercise here. Like, what are the most successful apps currently in the App Store? And the, I would say, just off the top of my head, you, you, I'm always seeing, you know, Facebook up at the top, Twitter up at the top, uh, you know, Spotify, Instagram. Um, well, what do, what do some of the most popular apps have in common? I would say just out of that short list, uh, all of them, I, I believe, have a tab navigation to display different views uh, and types of, of content, right? So they're following sort of this, uh, you know, it may, it may be boring to do what everyone else is doing, but they're following a, a paradigm, a best practice paradigm that they know their users are going to immediately understand. And it's only going to help them when they're trying to get more users to stick around instead of coming up with something new 
that feels foreign and and kind of alienating. I think you know out of all of those apps, um, you know a few of them have a side menu, but they maybe don't have a tabs, so they pick one or the other. Yeah, um, and actually, I think Spotify just switched. They did have the left Spotify menu. Spotify just switched using tabs. Yeah. Yeah, I think most apps are actually switching to tabs because it's one less, and this gets back to the the user experience. It's one less tap to get to the view or information that you're trying to get to as a user, right? So, like, if I hide, for example, my main navigation of my app in a side menu, well, then I'm forcing my user to have to click or tap a button to show me that navigation, and then I have to tap to get to that information. Whereas yeah. if I just display it just immediately on the 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 booting screen homepage and have it all in a tabbed navigation or maybe in a list view that's always there, then then the user doesn't have to search for it. Right. And so you get it gets back to this like usability improvement. And it also gets back to um, this idea of like giving the user the value that they're seeking. I mean, that's really what it's all about, right? If you're building an app, you likely you have a service or some sort of value that your user's trying to extract out of your app or you're trying to, to give to them. Why make it more difficult for them to get to it? So you, do yourselves, you, you would do yourself a lot of favors by following those best practices, even if they might seem boring or not novel or new. Um, it's, it's kind of a practice you have to get good at and i know i'm again i'm i'm guilty of of wanting to do you know weird interesting fun stuff but i I sometimes i have to recheck myself and go okay no one's gonna know what what is going on here only i'm gonna know and that's not a good thing right so it might be not quite as exciting as you'd like but if what you want is users and people actually using your app and for it to get adopted then you should probably stick with these best practices Exactly. And so we've spent a lot of time kind of building those best practices into the Ionic Framework uh, components and mobile UI kit. So you're going to get that that great UX right out of the box, along with the de- beautiful design. Um, you know, we, like I said, we spent a lot of time thinking about, okay, what are those, you know, most used uh, UX paradigms and how can we how can we just make that work out of the box that the developer doesn't have to think about it or we prevent the developer from ever even making the mistake in the first place? Um, and I think, again, that, that has been really um, uh, one, of our, one of the things I think we've done really well um, with Ionic. Okay, great. So when a developer is starting to develop a new app, when does UX come into play? Like, when do they have to start thinking about it? Is it at the first like initial idea phase? Is it once they already have started developing? Um, when do you think that they should be thinking about UX? Yeah, so I think, I think it, in, in my opinion, and having kind of done this before professionally, having a great UX means it's, you're, you're never not thinking about it. You're never not iterating on it. So I think, of course, at the very beginning, you need to be thinking about UX. I think before you even start developing an app or start even laying out mock-ups, you need to be thinking about the high-level like information architecture. Um, so you know, probably, I would, I would hope so, as the developer, what the value is that you're trying to uh, distill into an app arrangement, right? So I think it's important 
to number one, figure out what that value is or figure out what your users want most out of this app that you're planning on building before you even build it. Um, so something we often recommend um, to some of our users and customers um, is just make a list of the most important services or or the value different value props that your app is going to deliver and and order it from most important to least important right so like what is the like big killer like thing that your app is going to do that you want your users to start using or get to immediately i think snapchat does a great job with this right so when you boot up snapchat it immediately goes to the uh photo screen or or video screen you don't have to click anything to get to it you can just start taking a video or start taking a photo um so they did a really good job prioritizing what they thought was going to be the most important thing right so i would have put that at the top um i hope if i had been coming up with my list for snapchat which was give the user the ability to take a photo immediately let's not even give them the option to open up a camera let's just have it open already that's a great that's a great iteration don't require them to have to find know what the left um, menu icon is open up the left menu icon under read all the words that are there then click which one they want you know there's a whole so it, it looks like it's easy but it was a very well thought out process to like we'll yeah. we'll take out all those steps from the user having to do yeah. that and it's funny because they recently just added tabs in to their to their uh, <laughs> app and they originally didn't have uh, tabs and i think they were uh they were they did well by adding the tabs because now you can get to all these different views much more easily it makes so much more sense it's going to allow them to scale even even to to an even wider audience who are going to now understand how to use the app that much better. But anyway, um, I would say, yeah, you know, when you're building an app, of course, you need to think about these things before you even start. So you, you, you would build a list, I would say, would be the first step. Um, and then once you have your list, uh, you know, sort of laid out, then you start thinking about, okay, how am I going to put this information into views, certain views, right? So let's say I can split up into four or five different like key categories. Well, then you have four or five tabs that you can make or four or five you know, list items that you can have a person navigate from. And, and that would be a great starting point. But I think, like I said, maintaining this, this UX, this great UX that you're, that you're striving for, you can't really stop after that initial stage. You always want to be gathering data on how your customers or your users are interacting with your app. You want to be tracking how much time they spend on on certain pages or or maybe there's pages that that don't get as much as much attention as they should be getting. And you know, knowing that can help you can help inform how you um, you know structure some of the content in your app. Um, but yeah, I think like you said, Every single stage, whether it's before you build your app, while you're building your app, and after your app has been deployed, you want to be thinking about UX. You want to be gathering feedback. Um, you want to be having users test it you know, before maybe you even deploy it. Um, you can use apps that let you distribute your, your development version of your app to other people's devices. I know you guys do a lot uh, at Hyperion with that um, and allow people to you know, play with the apps and gather feedback and um, see how they're being used. Yeah, that's definitely important. And I like what you said about listing out what the value of the app is. So do you think um, developers like ever try to put too many values into one, like too much functionality that it gets to be too much for the user? Or is it more yes. that they're creating it too simply? What do you see? 
I don't think you can ever get too simple. I think it's always too complex. Okay. I think, I think, um, I think you always want to be striving for simplicity. And you know, here's what I would do. I would purposefully limit. Um, and this is, this is a, actually a great, great exercise. Um, if you're building an app or if you already have an app built, built, list out all the value that you want your developer or you want your users to get from your app. Right. But then force yourself to only, only make a list of the top four, the most top four or maybe five important, uh, value additions to your app. You can't have more than that. Like that's your, that's your limit. And it's going to force you to really prioritize, okay, what is the most, most important stuff in my app into these four categories and use that as your basis for what your main four or five, if, if you're feeling gutsy, Mm -hmm. uh, navigation views are going to be. And then anything else that doesn't make that list, you can put in a side menu or you can put in a, um, you know, a, a more tab or a, um, options area. Um, but you want to try to, you really want to try to optimize just four or five really, really important, um, uh, value adds to your app or, or whatever it is that you think is the, your, your users are going to get the most value out of. Um, and it's a really hard thing to do, but it's why I think you, you hear people talk about going mobile first, even when you're building a website. And I think it makes a lot of sense because you, you end up building a website that is focused around the most important things because you had to start with a limited scope to begin with. And by putting limitations on the creative process, you end up building, I would say, you know, nine times out of 10, unless you're doing something strange, you end up building an app that's highly focused on, on, um, delivering the most value immediately to the users who come versus starting. If you were start, if you were starting to build your app or your idea on a desktop, you have all this extra space and all this extra, you know, design options or, or layout options that you can choose to just throw, just dump tons of information, uh, everywhere and just, you know, completely overwhelm your users with. Um, so there's really a lot of value in limiting the scope and, and purposefully, uh, restricting, you know, what you choose to display immediately. And I think that number is around four or five okay. things. Yeah. Okay. And I think this is consistent across different types of apps, right? Because the Perian platform is is for B2B apps, but it doesn't really matter who the audience is, right? It's more just what the value the app is delivering and, and presenting that in the, the best way. Totally, yeah. It, it, I would say it, it's, it's uh, agnostic to, to what, you know, ecosystem or market you're building or type of user you're building for. Like, you know, a B2B app, um, versus, you know, B2C, whatever it is. Um, at the end of the day, these are, these are people that, uh, are are used to certain design and, and UX paradigms and they just want to get, they just want to get their work done or they just want to get, you know, a photo taken. They just want to get this one or two things done that, that shouldn't be difficult to, to get done. Right. But for some reason, it, we have the tendency to want to overcomplicate how we allow these people to get to those things, um, and it's 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 frustrating to see. It's frustrating when you when you download an app and you don't know how to use it. And I think at the end of the day, it just it all comes down to having a, a bit more empathy for your users. Okay, well, 
you guys have shared a lot of really great tips. It, it's clearly about the simplicity and the ease of use. Um, the tab navigation, you guys feel like is the way to go and to limit your, your values to four or five when you're starting and, and don't push it any higher than that. So are there any other core components of creating great user experience or app best practices you want to share with us before we wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's it's all about having empathy, right? Like putting your putting your feet in in the shoes of your of your potential users or your current users. Um, and sometimes that's a really hard thing to do when you are, you know, in the thick of of using and developing and testing your app. You kind of lose touch with, you know, what it might be like to be that first time user opening your app up and trying to to get the value out of it that they're you know seeking. But I think that's number one. I think. Um, and, and Adam, feel free to, to jump in anytime, but I think, um, I think we've talked about this at length, so I'll, I'll give a high level. I think the next thing would be just give the user what they want, give, give them the value that they're seeking as quickly and as simply as possible. Um, if they can't easily extract value out of the app that they're seeking, they're, they're gone. You're going to lose them and and they're not going to convert into a customer or convert into a, um, a a user that keeps coming back to your app and keeps getting that value out of your app. You know, if if Twitter didn't make it immediately accessible to uh, see my mentions or see what's new, uh, I don't think I would, if I had to, to navigate to get to that stuff, I don't think I would use it as much. But they make it very easy to get to. And I think that's that's we could do well with taking some cues from them or Facebook or you know any of these other most popular apps. Look at those apps and see what they're doing right. And don't stray too far from it. I mean, you can be creative. You can put your own touch on things. And I guess that gets into the next thing, which is the usability, right? And ease of use. Does the flow make sense? Have you thought about, okay, if your user wants to get to X, what is the pathway there? And how can we reduce the amount of steps it takes for them to get to that? Um, and as cool as your animations are, <laughs> make them quick. You know, like they don't need to be a big drawn out two second, you know, intro to anything. Just like get to the point. Right. I think <laughs> material design is 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 uh, is walking a, a fine line between that right now. It's a. I think it's a nice design language, but they they really push these these animations that while they look beautiful, they take time to animate. And as a user, I don't want to wait to watch an animation happen. I just want to get to what I'm trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's yeah. Adam makes a really great point. Just give them what they want. Again, Snapchat I think is the king of of this. They did such an interesting thing by not forcing the user to have to click a button to open the camera like most apps do. They just give it to you open already. You don't have to do anything. I think the last thing and probably the least important, although I care about this a lot as a designer, is just the visual appeal. Um, you know, taking advantage of modern design and and UI best practices is going to make your app look contemporary and feel more relevant to the users. And this is, I mean, it's it's a huge draw. You know, when you open an app and it looks old, it looks clunky, um, it feels something might feel off about it. Um, you might you might give your users kind of a you might leave them with a bad taste in their mouth, um, or or you you might signal to them that you don't really care about the quality of the service that you're providing because you haven't spent time delivering them something beautiful. And again, this is something that we take a lot of pride in at Ionic is, is building a framework that lets developers have that out of the box, um, which um, we think has been great for our developers, users who end up using these apps um, and, and really loving them. Um, and it's the reason why we 
why we built Ionic in the first place. So I think those would be my, my high level, you know, just core components of any good UX. Um, I don't know, Adam, if you had anything else, um, but I know we've talked about this at length, so I, I, I kind of yeah, went over all I that. You, yeah, definitely hit the nail on the head there with just basically simplicity. <laughs> to sum up everything Ben's saying, just keep it simple. Yep. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining and for sharing all these tips. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. It was fun. All right. We'll have to do it again soon. Yeah, sounds, sounds good. good. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode of Life in the Mobile Enterprise. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe on iTunes or catch each episode on the MAM blog at aperion.com slash blog. Follow us on Twitter at Aperion and let us know what you think or email feedback and ideas to podcast at Until next time.